If you're here for the first, second, or third time, you've got that connection card that has, I think, around 82 blanks on it, and you're watching the basket start to fly by, you're not thinking you can get it filled, don't worry about that at all. You've got the rest of the service to fill it out. As you head out today, there will be some really nice people once you get outside on your right who have a gift for you. You matter to us. You made this place matter to you today. So we want to say thank you in whatever way we can uh, for coming, and we'd love to give you a gift today. So we're, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk today. Last week, I preached for 27 minutes. That's how long it takes me to find Habakkuk. Uh, so we've got a little bit of table of contents cheat sheet up on the screen for you. Uh, get toward the, the, the blue one and uh, avoid the black once and there you'll find Habakkuk. We're going to be in chapter 1, uh, verse 12 today. But uh, this past week, we had our first event at our new building uh, on Kings Canyon and Bergen. Uh, we bought that place last month. We're starting to fix it up and everything. But Wednesday night, we had a block party. And before the block party, uh, I was out passing out flyers in the neighborhood with my two favorite flyer assistants. Uh, those are my daughters, Eden and Ellie. Eden is 10 and Ellie is 8. And Eden is the one in the, the like peach pink colored shirt. Uh, and I'm really glad that she went out with me because the last time that we did flyers, it was very very not good for her. Uh, I was doing one side of the street. She and her sister were doing the other because it goes really quickly that way. Uh, and at one point, I'm on my side and I hear her screaming and running because there was a thing that was about the size of a cat but barked. I appeared, I, allegedly they call that a dog, but at that small, that's not a dog. That's a cat who barks, chasing her. Okay, that's not what's supposed to happen when you're out serving Jesus, delivering stuff. Like, you shouldn't get barked at and chased. And so she's crying. I grab her. I hug her. Uh, pat her back. Do all the dad stuff. And she continues. It's great. So this time, I'm thinking it's going to be different. If there's any dogs, like I told her, just don't worry. Just come to me. We'll take care of those cats that bark. And uh, this time... I'm doing the same thing. I'm on my side, she's on her side, and I hear the screaming again. I'm like, really? There's another dog? No, this time she got stung by a wasp, all right? This is not supposed to happen when you're serving God, okay? This is supposed to happen when she's messing around at school. That's where the dogs should come. That's when the bees should come. That's where, as a dad, I want something to intervene. I don't care how many legs it has and if it has a stinger in the back. Not when you're serving God, Okay? Not when you're serving God. And we, I scraped it off and everything and gave her a hug, more hugs. Because if, if there's flyers, there's going to be hugs. And she finished and everything. Uh, but it's one of those things in life that you look at and you're like, this is messed up. When you're doing stuff for God, bad things shouldn't happen. And where we're at in Habakkuk today, Habakkuk asks that question to God. Why is there so much evil in the world? If you are a big, powerful, stronger than anything like we just sang about, you're good. Why is there still bad? If you can really do something about it, why is there still evil and suffering? This is a question that all of us ask at some point in life. There's a study done a few years ago that said if you could ask God any question and he had to answer, what would your question be? And so they said, why is there, like the overwhelming response was, why is there so much evil and suffering in the world? This is a question that all of us ask at some point. This is a big bone of contention for people who don't trust God, people who don't want God in their lives, is that they look at everything that goes on in the world, and if God is really good, how are these two things compatible? How does a good, all-powerful God allow suffering? 
If he's really all-powerful, how come it happens? And if he's really good, how does he allow it? How does this happen? And Habakkuk today asks the question, how can a good God allow suffering? So what's happened up to this point is Habakkuk is living two generations removed from a group of people that followed God with their whole hearts. Stuff had been bad. Stuff got good under his grandparents. And then all of a sudden it got horrible again. Like it went bad fast. And so Habakkuk begins his book by asking God, how come this is the way that it is? Things used to be good. Things are now completely busted. How does this work this way? Then why is there so much bad? And so God responds, and he says, I'm going to do something about it. And it's going to be so big that you wouldn't believe it even if I told you. You wouldn't expect it to be this way even if somebody told you. And so Habakkuk is like, yes, this is going to be awesome. And then God answers and says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. To us, that's a Jeopardy answer. Who is Babylon? And we're like, yes, you're a genius. But for Habakkuk, Babylon was this horrible group of people that in our days, if we looked at them and their whole city like one day just fell into the ground and everybody died, we would look at that based on the horrible things that they have done in life and said, yeah, that fits. I think that's fair. And then moves on. But God is saying, I'm going to use the Babylonians to judge Habakkuk's people, Judah. And Habakkuk looks at that picture and says, that picture's not right. You can't Fix not as bad people with worse people. Like, God, you, you don't get it. You've messed this up. The picture is broken. Kind of like a 10-year-old getting stung by a bee while serving Jesus. And so Habakkuk asks this question of God in verse 12. He says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, You've sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. Verse 13, he really gets to it. But you're pure, and you cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? He's saying, did you forget about this? How can you let evil people flourish? How can you let evil happen in this world? And we stand with Habakkuk on this one. Like, we want an answer. We want an answer. We want to know why stuff is that, that, that goes on. There's so many things in our world that we just see, and they're messed up, and it causes our hearts to hurt and ask God, what's going on? Why are there homes for women who have been beaten? Why do they have to run their marriage, run away from, from situations? If you're good, God, shouldn't you have taken care of this? Why are there, where are there caskets in kid sizes? God, this stuff doesn't, work like the the picture is wrong there's something going on here that doesn't make sense for all of us this is this is part of life as we look at things in our world that we've experienced that we've walked through we say god this this the picture is messed up it's the same thing that habakkuk asks like god if you're pure and you're good and you're strong and you're all powerful what about all this i think back to the time about two years ago I'm walking into church one day, I get a call uh, from a number that I don't recognize, so I'm just like all of you. I do not answer, put the phone back in the pocket, person leaves a voicemail, uh, I listen to the voicemail, hey, you don't know me, but we both know the same family, I want you to call me back. So the first chance I get, I call him back, uh, and it's an aunt of a kid in the youth group. He's one of four kids. He's the kid that like everybody loved. He's the kid whose life is going up and to the right while the rest of his family was doing different things, and this this kid was out on a hike with his parents uh, up in the mountains, and the dad and the son fell off a cliff and died at 14. It's like there's no answer for that. Why does this stuff happen? 
Why do situations like Braden happen where it's a good kid who's doing good things with his family and one day just slips off a trail and dies? Like, how does this happen? We ask this in our lives. We, ask, we might not use the same words, but we want to know, God, where, where do you come out on this? People in the Bible were asking the same thing. I mean, suffering enters the Bible in chapter 3, and it stays until the second to last chapter. That's 65 and 9 tenths of the books of the Bible is all based on humans finding God and looking for God in the midst of their suffering because we want an answer, because we want to know if God, if you're all-powerful, how come there's evil and suffering in the world? And what we find in the life of Jesus, what we find explained through the character of God throughout Scripture is that the Bible definitely cares about righting wrongs and fighting injustice. It's the picture of God that we get throughout the Bible, that he stands with the oppressed, that he stands with those who are hurting, that he fights for those who cannot fight for themselves. And this question of, God, why does this happen? It's asked by people throughout the Bible, even Jesus, asking God, can you let this cup of suffering, can you let this evil pass from me? I don't want this evil in here, but God, I'm going to follow you regardless of what's going on. And it goes on forever, people asking God, what, what's going on? Why, why is this an issue that we have a good, all-powerful God? It's still so much evil in the world. And what also goes, goes on forever is God's people asking for this to be over and finding an answer. Instead of an immediate answer, though, God invites us into relationship. When we ask God, okay, God, what's going on with this? Why is there so much brokenness? Why is there so much evil in the world? And instead of giving us an immediate snap his fingers answer, God invites us into a relationship. And I think part of the reason that God just doesn't fix everything right away but invites us into a relationship is because all of us, we all play a part in this. There's a verse in the Bible that explains our position of absolute right or absolute wrong. It's Romans 3.23 where the guy who's, who's writing it is kind of like a lawyer. He says that everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's glorious standard, which means that if you have a pulse, you have a propensity, you have this inner motor with inside of you to go do bad things, okay? I've taught my kids a lot of things. One thing that I never taught my kids was how to fight and how to argue about absolutely nothing, right? We're in the back of the car and all of a sudden it's, you looked at me wrong. Who cares? You're breathing too loud. Get over it. Like we, none of us ever teach our kids how to argue, but what do they do really, really well? Argue. Right? It's built inside of us. And it never stays with us. Our sin, our propensity to do wrong, never stays just with us. So the two girls that were in the picture, they weren't always eight and ten. They used to be like two and four. Uh, and in our family, you can't chew gum until you're four. Part of it is the story that I'm about to tell you. So they're in the shower, the two of them, one day. And uh, the four-year-old had gum. I don't know how the other one got it. But all of a sudden, we hear a lot of screaming. Uh, and we walk in there, and Ellie had taken Eden's wad of gum and stuck it deep in Eden's hair. Eden doesn't have, like, light, flowy, small strands of hair. She has curly hair, like, big hair. And her daughter, had, or her sister, had stuck it, like, way in the middle of her hair, right on top of her head. So immediately, we took the girls, split them apart. Ellie went to one shower, and I stayed in there with Eden and used prayer, lots of shampoo, soap, peanut butter, ice, everything that I could get to get that gum out of her hair so that she and dad didn't have matching haircuts, right? That was not the goal. 
That's how sin is. It comes into the world in one person, and then it spreads everywhere. And for all of us, there are things that we have dealt with that are not our fault. There's brokenness, there's evil that we have to live with that happens because of somebody else. And the reason that, part of the reason that God doesn't just wipe it out is because God loves the idea that we get to choose. Part of the way that we are like God, that you and I are like God, is that we have choice in things. God created us, male and female, and said, I'm going to make you in my image. Part of that means that we have choices that we can make. And I, you know, I love being your pastor. I love getting texts from you about good stuff that's happening. But if I'm going to get the good stuff, I'm also going to get the bad stuff. And my heart hurts with yours when I get those texts of, man, I made a bad decision. My, my marriage is kind of difficult right now. My relationship with such and such is difficult right now. The result of that is because we make choices. Because we decide that we're going to do things that aren't good for us. There's also the texts that I get that say, hey man, we're doing great. I've been off of such and such for how long? This thing that we prayed about, God brought healing. This relationship that used to be frayed is put back together now. And God says, I'm going to stick with the glory and the majesty of who God is in those situations where, thing, where things go right, where things work out. I'm going to let that remain even though there's going to be darkness with it, even though there's going to be pain with it, because God's glory that comes when people who follow him and people who are intent on living their lives to please God, the glory and the majesty of God that comes out of that far outweighs the darkness that happens when we live our lives apart from who Jesus is. God lets us choose because God chose to create a world that isn't based on robots who just automatically do the right thing all the time. But instead, it's based on people who make good decisions and bad decisions sometimes. And he's saying the joy that people experience, the joy that's on the heart of God. When we live and make good decisions, God says, you know what, in the end, it's going to be worth it. So he doesn't wipe us out right away. He lets us make our own decisions. And in those, when there's suffering, when there's evil, God allows suffering as an opportunity for us to draw closer to him. He says, this is going to be an opportunity for you to come closer to me. Throughout the Bible, that's what we see as lives of people who go through difficulty, who have a hardship that they need to walk through, that they need to navigate, and they meet God in the middle of it. There's a guy named David who wrote 150 psalms. They're just kind of like poems that, that God inspires in his heart. And one of the things that he says is, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I have nothing to fear because God is with me. That's the testimony throughout the Bible. That's the testimony of our lives is that when we walk through darkness, when we walk through difficulty, what we find so often is that that is where God refines us. That's where God creates a deeper hunger in us for him. Anna and I were talking about this in our own life, about where has God used hardships uh, to shape us into who we are. Uh, And with two of our kids, with Micah, the four-year-old, and with Eden, the the 10-year-old, they didn't gain weight very much when they were born. And it's not just being small. Like, especially with Micah, uh, the chart goes up and to the left of where they're supposed to be, and his was just kind of like flat at the bottom. He was born four weeks early, uh, but he was born big for four weeks early and then just stayed there. Uh, We don't have a lot of pictures of him when he was little because nobody likes to take pictures of really skinny babies. Um, And so this was a thing for us that we'd feed him and then we'd weigh him and we'd just asking God, God, we want a tenth of a pound. Can you give him a tenth of a pound more? Uh, And for like five months, there was nothing. He was a tiny little kid. 
Uh, we're praying about him. We're bringing him to church, asking people to pray for him, asking coworkers to take time out of their day to pray for him. I'm asking people that I'm not even really that close with to pray for my kid because we want him to gain weight. Uh, and so over a year, this, the first picture is taken in April of uh, 14. A year later, in April of 15, uh, we got to see the, the results of, of God doing a miracle in my son's life. As he went from this tiny, skinny little thing uh, to fat Micah. All right? It's mean to call people fat unless you live through our life, okay? Because God made our kid fat, all right? It was a worship song in our houses. There's fat Micah. We were so excited because God had taken this skinny little baby and plumped him up. I mean, that kid looks like he swallowed the first kid. He, he might have him in that huge shirt right there. You know, in the middle of it, when, when we couldn't control what Micah weighed. We couldn't control how his skin and his cheekbones uh, were so close together. Um, There's so much we couldn't do. So what did we do? We prayed. And we asked everybody to pray. Uh, because that's where we find God in those moments. It was an opportunity for us to either write God off and say, you, you screwed up here. You're not growing my son like, you, like you're supposed to, like our other kids did. Um, but instead, God turned evil in our world into, into an opportunity for glory, an opportunity for worship. It's something we can tell him as he grows older. So man, you, you weren't in a good place. And we prayed and we kept praying. And, uh, and then God made you fat because God's good. And we'll keep telling him that for forever because I want him growing up knowing that, that even in the darkness, what are we going to find in the darkness? We're going to find that God meets us where we are and pulls us closer to him. He uses our hurt as an opportunity for a relationship, not because he's sadistic and he wants to inflict pain on us, but because his end goal is our holiness. And also his end goal is that one day that we're going to see God face to face and every single difficulty that we've gone through is going to pale in comparison to the glory and the joy that we have in a relationship with Jesus. And God doesn't say that to minimize our pain. He says that to say, you can trust me even in your hurt that my good is good. And through Jesus, God entered our world and experienced our suffering. As Christians, we love the cross because it symbolizes salvation. It symbolizes joy. It symbolizes that nothing, no one is ever without hope. But in Jesus' day, it completely symbolized rejection, humiliation, and physical death by execution. Through the cross, Jesus entered into our world and experienced our suffering. For us, that meant that God created each and every one of us on plan, on purpose, and on point. And within that, God has a very accurate love for us, that, that there's nothing we could ever do to make God's love go up or go down for us. He flat out loves us, always has, always will. But he knows that for each and every one of us, there's this thing called sin, where we push ourselves away from God. And so the, what the cross was, was Jesus ex exchanging every ounce, every decision individually by us to sin. He's exchanging that for Jesus's lifetime of perfect obedience to God. That's the part where we exchange our sinfulness and our shortcomings for Jesus's absolute perfection. And in that moment, Jesus took on every amount of evil that the world has ever created. That where we have been abused and beaten physically, Jesus was abused and Jesus was beaten physically. That where we have been abandoned, Jesus was abandoned. 
There were, we have been betrayed and lied about. Jesus was betrayed and lied about. That where we have been sexually exploited, Jesus was hung naked. Don't think they put a cloth around him. No, 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 that's only for pictures and keeping movies clean. Jesus has hung naked to be sexually exploited, to identify with us in the ways that, hap- that that's happened in our lives. Through Jesus, God entered our world and experienced our suffering so that in a world that is evil and in a world that so many bad things happen, we can look to Jesus and Jesus will always know what we're talking about when we say, God, this happened. Where were you in this? Jesus says, I was there and I can make it right again. And I know your pain and I know what you're going through. And through this, God suffers with his people, not just a way of saying, I can do this, I'm strong enough, you don't have to worry about your problems. He suffers as a way of identifying with us, his people. It is his mission to come and save, and it's also his identity as the savior who suffers with his people. He is the hero who dies for the villain because we can relate to God in everything, and God can respond in relationship to us. That where we have hurt, where we have pain, where we have experienced evil, Jesus did too so we can draw near to him in the moments where we feel completely empty because that's where God entered into human suffering and into human existence to heal us and to pull us close to him. So yes, there will be things in our life that we bring to Jesus and ask God to heal us. And because he's God, he can snap his fingers and make difficulty and brokenness and suffering and injury disappear. He can do that. And we praise God for the times that he does that where healings happen in an instant. And we also trust God in his goodness when they don't. Because we know that one day it's gonna all be made right. God promises us an end to our suffering because one day everything will be made right again. One of the people who was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified and when he took on the sin of the world was a guy named John. Jesus had 12 followers. Uh, One of them betrayed him at the very end and killed himself. So that means 11 followers now, uh, 11 disciples. 10 of them were killed for their faith. They died because they said Jesus was Messiah. They were murdered for it. John was the exception. John was the youngest of them, so he had the longest of life to tell people about Jesus until it was snuffed out. And at one point, uh, the people in charge decided they would take John and they'd stick him in a vat of boiling water to boil, boil him and kill him so that he would stop talking about God, only it didn't work. He survived. So now you've got hurt, physically, emotionally hurt, because all of his friends have been killed, John, sent onto an island. It's kind of like Alcatraz in the Mediterranean where it's just ugly and there's nothing around. There's no one else around for him to tell about Jesus. That's where John sits until he dies. That was the plan with him is if we can't kill you, we're just going to stick you on an island and there you'll die. And that's where John wrote the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. It's about how God puts everything back together again. And one thing that we never experience, that we never hear from John, out of all of his hurt, out of all of his heartache, watching so many people, including his own brother, get killed for Jesus, one of the things that we never hear from John is, God, this is not worth it. This isn't worth it. This pain, this hurt, what about me in this? We never hear that from John. What we hear instead is is a heart and a soul that is completely given over to God, knowing that one day Jesus is going to make it right again. And so Jesus is explaining these things to John and giving him word pictures. In Revelation 21, verse 1, it's almost at the very end. It's where stuff's coming back together again. 
It says this, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. John is saying that everything that caused brokenness, everything that caused hurt and pain and fear and death in the world is gone. Even the ocean, like John was a fisherman, so the ocean to him, this isn't a day when people swim. The ocean represents danger and death. And brokenness, and John is saying that everything about that is gone. We are starting over fresh. And I heard a loud shout from the throne say, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, because all these things are gone forever. Church, in this life, Jesus promises us we will have trouble But what he expands on that, how he finishes that sentence, is that we need to take heart, that we have the opportunity to take heart, not because of anything that we're going to do, but because what Jesus finishes that sentence with, saying that he will overcome the world. That's our reality. In this world, there will be pain. There will be suffering. And what Jesus says is you press into me, and you will find out, us as a church, us as individuals, that when we hit those times in life, Jesus is going to be there to walk us through them. He's going to be there to pull us close to him, to walk us through. Because one day it's all going to stop. If that happens before we die, praise God. If that happens after we die and one day we see Jesus and and our physical limitations are gone, our emotional hurt is gone, it's all perfect. At that point, Jesus says it's going to be worth it. So what do we do? What do we do from here? Like this is crazy. What do we do? And Jesus says, keep drawing close to me continue to pray. If you're in the middle of a season that, that is suffering and evil and pain, and this completely defines your life right now, God says, continue to bring things to me. Jesus says at one point in his life, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary, who are tired and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Church, we can stand on that verse today where there are things going on in our hearts that are causing us pain. What does Jesus tell us to do is come to me. We do that through prayer. This is the conversation part of our love relationship with God. We're saying, okay, God, fix this. Do something with this. We do this through reading our Bibles, the book that God wrote for us, and finding God in this. Because from chapter 3 till the next to the last chapter, we find people who are in our shoes who are looking for God in the midst of suffering. And we do that through surrounding ourselves with people who are going to encourage us when we need it, who are going to point us back to Jesus when everything else around us is broken. And in those times... That's where we're going to see God move. That's where we're going to see God live out what he promises for us. That when we walk through the darkest valley, we have nothing to be afraid. Because Jesus is right next to us. And he's going to walk us through those with his hand holding ours. Giving us everything we need and protecting us as we go. Because he's our shepherd who loves us. Let's stand and pray. God, I thank you that you're here today. I thank you that... For any difficulty that's in this room, Lord, you're the answer. That where there's hurt, there's pain, there's, there's abuse, there's things that should never have happened. God, you're, you're there to put it back together. You're there for comfort. You're there to wipe away every tear. And we know that one day that's going to happen. In the meantime, God, I pray that this is going to be a place where healing happens, where miracles occur. Because you're going to work in people's lives. 
If you're here today and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, you never made the decision to ask him to forgive you of your sins and take over your life and run your life from the inside. If today's your day to become a Christian, I wanna give you that chance today. I'm gonna count to three, and when I say three, if that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. You are not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every other Jesus follower in here that collectively, down to the man, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. That's us, and Jesus is that Savior. So one, God loves you, always has, always will, and today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there are things in all of our lives, mine included, where we push ourselves away from God, where we say, I'm doing this my way. That's called sin, and sin separates us from God. And three, God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins, to end that separation, and to bring us into a relationship with Jesus through forgiveness. Is there anyone like that here today, where today's your day to say yes to Jesus? If that's you, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand. And as we close, someone's gonna pray with you. It'll be the best decision you could ever make. Uh, for the rest of us, the, the front's going to be open. Uh, and just like last week, uh, this is a time for us to come and bring our areas to God where we need God to work. Bring the suffering that we're experiencing, the evil that we're experiencing. And I encourage you to come down, you sit, you can stand, you can kneel, whatever you want. But just put your hands out like you're giving it back to God. Saying, God, I'm giving this to you. This is where I want to find you this week. This is where I want to see you move. Whether it's to take this thing away right away or whether through this hard time you're going to draw my heart closer to yours. You're in charge. Do what you want. I'm going to follow you in faith. Let's worship and respond.